0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Scholarly Communication, the podcast about how knowledge gets known. I'm Daniel Shea, your host for Episode 75 of the podcast. Today I'll be talking with Vivian Kau, Associate Professor of Composition and Coordinator of the First Year Writing Program, and Julia Kiernan, Assistant Professor of Communication and Coordinator of the Technical and Professional Communication, both of them at Lawrence Technological University in Southfield, Michigan. Their edited collection, Writing, STEAM, Composition, STEM, and A New Humanities, was published by Routledge this year. STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, is an interdisciplinary construct to begin with. Now, it is true people will talk as if STEM was one thing, STEM education, STEM research, STEM funding, interest in STEM, communication of STEM, real-world applications from STEM, But let it be known, there is no STEM department at the university, no STEM scientist in the lab, and no STEM publication that a person might pick up and read about a STEM topic. STEM is above disciplines. STEM is between disciplines. STEM is around disciplines. But STEM is not one single discipline. I mean, seriously, researchers today are uncomfortable enough calling themselves just scientists or just engineers, or for that matter, just cell biologists or just electrical engineers. These people are researchers into cell surface receptors and signaling transduction, or they are specialists in the provision of utilization voltages to apparatus. Because STEM is interdisciplinary, but STEM is also subdisciplinary. Research into cellular signaling pathways itself, development of electrical power distribution itself, each of these is further subdisciplinized to such an extent that it's safe to call each also interdisciplinary. The communicative leap, for example, from autocrine signaling in a cell to paracrine signaling between cells is big enough that the researcher of the one and the researcher of the other must take great care to be understood by each other. Similarly, though on a more general level, the biochemist, addressing her finding to the biologist and to the chemist, must, despite blood relation between their fields, likewise take great care to be understood by both. So STEM, it's worth drawing everybody's attention to the fact, is not a single unit. Instead, STEM is a collection an amassment, a congiaries, an assemblage, under four letters. And the reasons for getting all that under just four letters has quite often little to do with cellular biology per se, or with electrical engineering per se, because the reasons very often have a lot to do with economic concerns, political issues, societal problems. Really, STEM is not science, technology, engineering, mathematics. Instead, STEM is those disciplinary areas for the purposes of university admissions, for the purposes of funding commissions, for the purposes of policy making and economic growth and the sheer specialization of knowledge today. STEM, you might say, is a functional construct set in place really to serve people's needs. And so, in the same spirit as that which first motivated the very construction of STEM, I say it's only reasonable, and actually it's quite necessary, that the four-letter acronym get an A for arts, and become a nice good five-letter word, STEAM. I mean, just think about it. If STEM is already interdisciplinary and intradisciplinary, And also if the motivation behind the S science and the T technology and the E engineering and the M mathematics is, if I may simplify here, non-scientific to begin with, or at least very often outside of the sciences as sciences, well then putting the A in STEM to make STEAM is really putting the A back in because the real driver of stringing together molecular biology and electrical engineering appears very much to be that these and the hundreds of other fields and subfields inside of the S and the T and the E and the M, the real driver here appears to be that the STEM fields be operationalized for the benefit and the assistance of everybody either working in STEM or everybody affected by the work of STEM. The real purpose of the acronym is that What the letters S and T and E and M represent be operationalized for the purposes of, for example, politics and the allocation of resources, for the purposes of, for example, enterprises and the hiring of new personnel, for the purposes of, for example, schools and the compartmentalization of course offerings and campus space. Now these motivations behind STEM are some of the greatest, and at the same time too, some of the least motivations we humans know. But these are all our motivations. Because the sciences, that is, STEM, the sciences of STEM, have in all their techniques and technologies for data gathering and information amassing, no true motivation. All these really are just method. But The STEM sciences do indeed have motivations, as true as motivations get, when a person enters in and gives the data and the information use by interpreting it, by understanding it, by applying it, by sharing it, by questioning it, by doing whatever a person can do to turn data and information to use. Because the point here is the use by a person. Any use will do because it is use that results from motivation. And it is motivation that results from person, an individual, a human being, human, human understanding, human needs, human action, humanism, the humanities. Therefore, again, the reinstatement of A for arts has simply got to be in there, and since in STEM there are very few letters standing for very many areas of knowledge and very many activities of knowledge-making, it truly is worth remarking that the A stands in itself for all that is human, things like philosophy, history, ethics, the social sciences, communication and very many another field where the person is the object of inquiry, and very many another field where the person is, too, the subject of the inquiry. So, therefore, again, and it's the last time now, therefore, STEM is not the science and the technology and the engineering and the mathematics. Or better said, STEM is much, much more than its S, its T, its E, its M. STEM is human, as arts is human, stem plus arts equals steam is human in reality i don't think we ever were doing stem without the a it always was steam however too many institutions and too much misguidance have obscured the steam and stem have hindered very many a researcher and very many a teacher from doing the steam and stem but that is changing and this shows in today's book, Writing STEAM Composition, STEM, and a New Humanities, edited by Vivian Cao and Julia Kiernan. So let's begin today's episode, Vivian Cao, Julia Kiernan, Writing STEAM. Hi, Vivian. Hi, Julia. Welcome to Scholarly Communication.
1: Hi, Daniel. Thank you so much for having us on.
2: Yeah, hello. Thanks for having us. This is great.
0: Very good. So um I went in t- to some length um a bit of a <laughs> a bit of my typical introduction where I uh entertain some idea and I guess uh the the idea is more or less that right the the a is already in stem and if I'm anywhere near right, I suppose my question to just kick us off today would be: When did people get the feeling that it wasn't there? When did it start to be institutionalized that STEM was separated off? I'm I'm thinking here too, also practically of uh, the introduction to the book, uh, writing Steam, where we get a historical view of what's going on here in these two separate areas of disciplines.
1: So, and please feel free to jump in, Julia. So. Um, in the us from the beginning stem was thought of as as stem s-t-e-m science technology engineering and mathematics um and uh really it was thought of in in just the simpler acronym actually it was first smet S-M-E-T, but um, later on was changed to STEM because that sounds so much better than Smet. (laughs) Um, And uh, in the beginning in in the United States, um, STEM was thought to be uh, the driver of innovation and uh, the driver of economic progress. And um, the arts and humanities were often left behind in that discussion uh, because those were not seen to be disciplines that really generated any revenue. Um, And uh, it was really, you know, um, uh, after the land-grant universities were established and the educational arms of those universities established, that STEM was really promoted in the United States as that which would sort of bring us into the future and make us competitive on the world market. Um, And so in the beginning, Uh, uh, STEAM was not, the arts and humanities were not thought of as part of STEM or promoters of STEM or generators of STEM. It wasn't until later that we um, uh, developed uh, kind of two understandings of STEAM with the A in it. Uh, The first of which was that the arts and humanities would help students uh, to learn STEM subjects better. You know, students who were struggling with their science and mathematics uh, courses, uh, using arts to help them learn, you know, those hard science disciplines would help them and get them onto the right track. Um, And then much later on, really only, you know, since the 2000s, have we thought of STEAM as an end in itself. So uh, the arts and humanities uh, as being part of a more holistic education um, that included the sciences and the, you know, mathematics and, and uh, uh, engineering, um, and not just sort of, uh, and the arts and humanities not being just sort of handmaidens to helping students to learn uh, the STEM disciplines. Um, and so I, I think you're right, Daniel, that, that you know, we, we haven't really ever done STEM without the arts and humanities, but in the beginning, at least in the US, it was, it certainly was conceived that way.
2: Yeah. And in one of the chapters actually in our collection, Oh, sorry, I'm just going to do this shout out to Kara Whitman who wrote um, a chapter to feel with amazement in their minds. And she goes back and looks, you know, over hundreds of years of work in academia and points out that this is a really, really recent shift. It's not something um, that is, you know, historically based. Um, it's something that's happened within the last, you know, six to seven decades. Yet, It's coming to be something that we think of as very normative now in education. So this is one of the things that our collection really pushes back against, that this is something we shouldn't think of as normative. And we need to bring these connections back to the classroom for students that tend to be segregating out their different courses, thinking of them as not, you know, interdisciplinary, as you were talking earlier, transdisciplinary, Um, thinking about them as distinct and discrete, which is really problematic, because what happens then is they don't see connections across um, what they're doing in their different courses. And that kind of, I think, feeds into some of the deficit problems with STEM education.
0: Yeah, and these connections across, I mean, that's yeah precisely what I was referring to. Also, this long historical view from the scholar that you just uh, cited there was another thing that I certainly had in mind. I mean, the connections across, noticing that In arts, there are things, I mean, you you put it into your title, writing, um, STEAM. um, There are things to be learned and mastered that any good researcher knows he or she needs. That's, I mean, certainly one connection that I think is quite obvious. Another connection that's perhaps less obvious is the fact that, uh, as I was trying to draw attention to in in my um, introduction, it's, it's become now that the specialist realizes that, you know, just the next department over, Right? The molecular biologist and the cell biologist, you know, they have some communicating to do as well. It's not just biology anymore. So it's that it, it, we're inside of sub and interdisciplines as we move within the sciences themselves. So this understanding of communicative acts and communicative effectiveness is it, it belongs in STEM. It, if it isn't there, it, then you're doing it wrong, basically.
2: No, and I think you're completely right. right. So I'm just going to quickly respond to that because one of the words you've been talking about is or using is interdisciplinary. But I would even go so far as the way we think about STEM, you know, as each of those letters is separate, and it's more multidisciplinary. And that's where we have several academic fields, which are adjacent to each other, or even cross disciplinary, where you know, one academic field is used as a lens to understand another. But what's I think segregating them out as, you know, kind of letters doesn't really get to the interdisciplinary nature or even the transdisciplinary nature is when we've realized, okay, we're learning this in a university or higher education setting. But what we actually need to do is think about how this can reach out into the public or how this can reach other stakeholders outside the academy. If we really want, you know, to address global human good, that can be addressed through innovative practices within STEM and you know creativity which is an often you know a stem-based construct they one would think but there's so much creativity tied to the humanities and that a but we often don't see that kind of transdisciplinary aspect coming out
0: I have to jump in there, Vivian. I definitely want to give you a chance to answer, but uh, it just is—it's really relevant. What's on the top of my mind right now is—is is this idea of creativity that's brought in by the A, and it's probably one of those scare words for scientists, right? Creativity, ah, <laughs> you know, like story and narrative are another one of them. Yeah, which comes up also in various contributions uh, in the book, and and it shows up generally in composition when you're dealing with scientists. You know, the 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 narrative of your article. And um, I think it might also be helpful to make more precise what we mean by that. Creativity is a, is a huge area, isn't it? Uh, one area of creativity is, is reflection. And I think that would be one of the strengths that the humanities, to speak generally, that's what the A partially stands for anyway, brings in. So a researcher like John McKenzie in performance who shows that really it is that ability of the humanities to be constantly transgressing their own sets of definitions and boundaries to move into new areas. And that's not something that, as he shows, comes natural to say, like computer scientists or even people in business administration. Um, And that is one of our strengths and something that probably is needed in many scientific disciplines today where... the. The, the pace of research, the pace of findings, the need to interpret has become just absolutely necessary, essential, central.
1: Yeah. And I think that when, I, I think you're right, that, that often creativity might seem like a scary word to scientists um, or people who, you know, do science mainly because um, it seems wishy-washy, right? Creativity seems like something uh, that uh, you would do on in your spare time or, you know, um, something that is not, that isn't rigorous, that doesn't have a professional foundation, maybe something that, that kids do, right? Um, but I think that we can think about creativity in a much larger way, um, in a much more expansive, more capacious way. So, yeah, uh, creativity um, is often talked about in the discipline of rhetoric and composition um, as invention. So um, when you are... um, when you are analyzing a text and you are giving your own reading of it, and that is original uh, to you and a contribution to uh, what others have said about this particular text, that's creativity. Right. When you are putting when you are bringing two things together that have not uh, been brought together and not been brought together in particularly the way that you are um, seeing the connections, um, that's creativity, too. So I think that there already is a lot of creativity going on in the sciences, but. It isn't always talked about as such, um, and we don't always use the word to describe what scientists are doing, but I think there's there's much creativity going on in the sciences already. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's part of the scientific method, right? When we come up with a hypothesis and test that experiment, that's a creative act, Um Vivian just talked about, you know, the rhetorical term uh, invention. On top of that, too, I think we can think about creativity in terms of techne, which is, you know, the art and skill of um, creating something. Um, And techne, T-E-C-H-N-E, that comes, we get technical from that, right? So this idea of creativity is part of STEM historically. If you go back far enough into, you know, our educational system, um, they were once intertwined quite closely and we've seen to separate them out. And I think partially, you know, putting acronyms on the way we teach um, rather than having holistic educational systems and Does students and even faculty a disservice in separating things out instead of, you know, conjoining them and showing how one builds upon the other and how skills transfer happens across science and technology courses that goes into humanities courses and arts courses and philosophy courses?
0: I think so very much. I mean, this this is something that you experience if you spend any time. Uh, my background is also in the humanities and, and linguistics and, and English studies. And if you spend from that corner any time working with students of science in writing or communication generally, you, you notice very quickly that they are given a writing that is a wrapper, but not a method of inquiry. And this, despite the fact that really... You know, they're shown that you know the exact formation, a uh, formulation of your um, hypothesis, as as you just mentioned, Julia. I mean, just think of that—the formulation of your hypothesis. I mean, the the you know the jumping-off point for a, a, a set of experiments is writing, right? I mean, you've got to literally weed, weed and wheedle that thing down so that it says exactly what you're going to be testing. And The Lab Notebook, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the essential companion of anyone in the lab trying to figure out three days later what exactly it was that happened so that he or she can compare. And, I mean, that's that's writing too, you know? I mean, and, and it's unfortunate that this idea of a rapper is, is passed on. It, it makes me think of... Um, Caitlin, I believe her name is, Caitlin DeLuca, who's one of your uh, contributors, she, she, I'm just going to quote a couple sentences of, of, from her contribution here about, uh, called Gaining STEAM. Um, she, she talks in just this vein, and, and I think it's quite relevant to what we're talking about at the moment. She, she says, I quote, the STEAM approach enables transformations in students' creativity, audience awareness, and communication through interdisciplinary collaboration. The steps of the writing process vary and are adapted by each writer, but tend to be a recursive process of planning, free writing, outlining, drafting, PF feedback, revising, proofreading, and editing. The recursivity allows the writer to focus on aspects of the document in stages and to isolate concerns rather than looking at all the aspects of the document as a whole. Further, writers can examine their initial assertions, conduct research, and then return to their assertions and question under... In, in questions considering the information collected. That's, wow, end quote, um, by the way. <laughs> that's, the, I mean, that's research, isn't it? <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Caitlin's piece really um, explicitly draws connections between the scientific method and the writing process. And so um, for sure, I mean, she goes through how um, she teaches her students in her technical and professional writing class that these are very similar processes in that they are both iterative. So both the scientific method and the writing process ask you to go back again and again and again and revise and rethink um, and relook at the work that you have already done um, and that, that these should not, you, the, these two processes should not be thought of as different or foreign from each other, but the skills that you learn in doing one can be very uh, easily transferred and applied to, this, to the skills that you uh, need to do the other
2: yeah which goes back to that idea of holistic education which is especially i think in you know north american western education systems we, we've moved away from it for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, because we've siloed off our different departments and our different disciplines. But also, as education becomes more and more individualized and autonomous, students don't necessarily work together to solve problems. And to me, that collaborative um, part of the interdisciplinary is often lost Sometimes in the you know same classroom, but even across classrooms. So you know what Vivian was just talking about was like the transfer of learning skills. Students don't necessarily come to that themselves. We may tell them in a humanities class, you know these these skills you're going to carry them out throughout your other um, upper level discipline specific courses. But if we don't have faculty in those STEM disciplines reiterating that and working with the humanists in their specific institutions, often what we say in our writing classroom or another communication or humanities type classroom falls on deaf ears because students need to hear this over and over again. Because I would argue that with this push towards STEM in K to 12 and then in higher education, um, we've we've forgot about this idea of interdisciplinary and the collaboration needed within creativity, within problem solving, um, you know, within creating text, written texts or visual text, or even communicating to people that are not like ourselves. And I think that is the big issue with STEM. It's really good at getting students to work with um, people that are following the same professional or academic path. It's not quite as good as helping them make the connections to other disciplines that they need to help them with, you know, world problem solving and either within the classroom or outside the classroom later on in their professional lives.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that's one of the things that stands at the heart of rhetorical education is this idea of audience awareness, which was also just mentioned in the quote I gave. And as you seem to imply, and, and, and this is also a question, so I'd like to hear if I'm understanding it right, it would, it would appear that as we progress uh, in this somewhat siloed system, this separated out system where you get a very specific degree, you also get very specific training. So the idea that you would be then in certain classes where the main point is, is that you realize what is an audience and how do I communicate with them? Um, and, and, and understand that that's enough of a skill that you can bring over yourself, the key word, the magical word, transfer yourself over into other types of writing. That's not seen as a marketable skill, is it? That's not seen as something that can be packaged into a workshop.
1: Right. I mean, just to give you an example, um, you know, at our university, uh, many of the science and engineering majors have these really packed curriculum flowcharts. So, um, you know, many, many classes, 130, 135 credits um, of classes that are more or less in their majors. Um, they do take a core curriculum and most of that is done in the College of Arts and Sciences, which is where we live. Um, but, uh, you know, the majority of those classes are very discipline based. And, um, so as they get further, as these students get further along in their training, they see... People in their own fields more and more and more, and see people outside of their fields less and less and less. Um, and so I think that if, if we really are serious about STEAM, if we really, um, if higher education really believes that um, an interdisciplinary education um, that values communication. Uh, that values working with others in collaboration. Uh, if we if we really think that this is the way to go, then we have to build these classes into the curricula of students who uh, who who otherwise would would just be taking classes with other specialists like
0: themselves. Yeah, maybe this is also yeah, the best. I no.
2: think the across. Oh, sorry. I just want to reiterate no, that go working right. go, across go, the go curriculum right is yeah. so important. No worries. It's so important. But I think when people think about working across the curricula, they still sometimes think about it as, OK, we're working across the engineering curricula or working across the computer science curricula, not thinking about how um, a humanities like a course I would teach technical and professional communication actually supports the work they're doing in these other classes. And those conversations aren't necessarily happening all the time amongst faculty. Um, So if they're not happening amongst faculty, it's really hard to show students the benefits of those. I think the other thing that um, really Vivian pointed out there that's really important are also the ways that students learn in different classrooms, in humanities classrooms, we tend to take a inquiry guided learning approach, right, where active learning is very important, student-centered learning is really important, because what all that does is it forces students to self-reflect, um, it forces metacognitive growth, but still in many STEM courses, they take a traditional kind of unidirectional lecturer approach where student-centered learning isn't as foregrounded, And that, I think, is also a disservice to students because they're not getting the same educational experience across all their classes. And um, as they keep going and as they get more and more discipline specific, they tend to become less and less aware of the importance of the other courses. And again, Vivian was talking about the core curriculum or the core general education curriculum. A lot of that happens in their first two years of university. And um, as as, as anybody that can remember far back to their undergraduate experience knows, you forget stuff semester to semester. So how are you, how do we expect students to carry or transfer those skills that they get in their first year, maybe their freshman year of university into their fourth senior year of university if we as faculty and as administrators do not, you know, reiterate it for them within the courses they take and within the expectations of those courses?
0: yeah i mean uh, i i think i mean that that's obvious i mean who 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 even remembers their first uh, semester as a freshman right i mean <laughs> at all right um it, never never minding as you're saying the transfer from one semester to the next but i mean th- this point that you make about um gaining a, a, a position in your thinking where you're metacognitively capable, where you're self-reflecting in a productive fashion. I mean, these are some of the things that go into this idea of creative. And I and I've experienced it myself and I've I've seen it happening elsewhere and between other departments where, you know, the STEM fields will kind of look over and give the feeling or even state more or less explicitly, yeah, but what do you know? You know I mean, what is it that you guys actually know and and my my feeling is is the response is better. it's not what we know, it's what we can do, and that would be one of those major transfer areas from the A over into the s t e and m that um listen, you have a lot that you could be able to do if you if you collaborate with us to pick up your keyword again, Julia you know, if you collaborate with us because yes, indeed you may have loads and loads of facts and equations and formulas and, and and techniques and lab equipment that we don't have, right? However, half of your time, if not more, I've heard this from many, an editor a researcher, um, a professor, examiner, PI, whatever, more than half of their time is spent with text. They're reading up on the literature, they're writing down their own manuscripts and so on. So, I mean, it just seems obvious that, you know, this collaboration needs to be
1: Yes, so I'll I'll draw readers' attention actually um, in the spirit of your uh, your comment, Daniel, to Rolf Norgard's uh, chapter. Um which is chapter six in the book, knowledge in the making, how steam can transform notions of expertise. Um, And it strikes me, Daniel, that, that the, the, um, the concept you're talking about there that um, is underneath that question. What do you know is the, the, the notion of expertise, right? What is it that humanists are experts in? (laughs) What is it that, you know, social scientists are experts in? And, and, in this chapter Rolf suggests that we should not that the humanists should not think of our expertise solely as content area expertise or content knowledge, which is the way that expertise is usually defined in the sciences and and engineering disciplines. Um, It's not like a collection of stuff that you know, or a bag into which you put things, uh, data or um, facts or, um, you know, pieces of literature, you know, that's not the kind of expertise that we cultivate. We cultivate a kind of What he calls knowledge in the making. So um, uh, this goes back to uh, that word techne that um, Julia brought up earlier. Um, When, when, you are in the process of creating something new or bringing two things together that were not, uh, that had not conversed together before, that is a kind of knowledge. That is a kind of expertise that happens within the practice. So by practicing the communicative, um, you know, dialogic, uh, uh, Practice that 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 we do in the humanities. Um, that is how we make the expertise that we eventually have. So um, I think that this this question, you know, is is really something that that sometimes humanists feel like plagues us. You know, what is it that we know? We are not discovering, you know, new planets, um, or not all of us are. Most of us are not. Um, we are not, uh, you know, building bridges. We are not, you know, designing uh, new. High- Highways or infrastructure, um, but we also uh, but but we can um, add to those things um, by communicating their importance. Um, we can also analyze why those things might be good or bad to certain populations. Um, there are many many things that we. Um, that we are able to do that uh, you know can can really contribute to the world that is something other than content knowledge
2: yeah and with those texts that we're creating whether they're written texts or they're visual texts or you know it's an oral text what the humanists bring is this idea of science as ethical as moral as participatory as dialogic as social and as cultural And that's not necessarily something that we're gonna get in our STEM classes. So there is that need to show students this, to get them to kind of move out of their disciplinary comfort zones and say, okay, when you move into your professional worlds in your professional jobs, whether they keep going in higher education or just go out and, you know, graduate with an undergraduate and go and get that job they always wanted, they're going to need to be able to work with others and they're going to need to be able to work with others in different situations and in different, for different purposes and that I think is where the writing is so important. That's where this idea of knowledge of them in the making is so important because you're not making this knowledge as a singular individual. You need to work with others sometimes to persuade them sometimes so that they comprehend what you're talking about, but it's not an individual act. It's, it's a very multiple act and um, a collaborative act. And that's something that the humanities can really bring into STEM.
0: Yes, and very much of that definitely comes out in, in Rolf Nogard's um, chapter there. And I'm very glad that you, you cited that. That was a miss of me. And the 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 way that you, you both uh, describe that makes me think, if I might just summarize, that one of the things that a humanist view of the world can bring is so the. The products of science can be understood. The, the production process of science can be understood. If we think of the bridge, right? Or let's say the genetically modified molecule, something like that, right? These things can now be understood in the way that they are. The producers themselves can also be understood. What is it that the scientist thinks? What is it that the scientist is, is intending? What is his or her enterprise, if you like, his, his or her endeavor? But what seems to come out in STEM also? And this is where the educational aspect of it comes in, is that the humanist can also be the scientist, or the scientist the humanist. In fact, that seems to be one of the central aims of the entire steam movement: is that we end up also with people who, uh, Julia, as you as you've just said, you know, might move right on from uh, academia out into the work world and so on. But we're sending out people also who. Don't just simply ask how, what, when, and where, but sometimes also for their own benefit even ask why.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And if we don't train them how to ask why uh in, you know, their higher education, they're going to be at a, in a huge um predicament, I guess, when they go out in the job because oftentimes we don't work with people like us. We regularly work with people much different than us with different backgrounds. And if we can't communicate with them effectively, um, all our knowledge doesn't matter. Basically, if we can't reach, um, different audiences, if we can't think about the best ways to reach those audiences, if we just, you know, work the same way that we've always been working or communicate the same way as we've always been communicating and don't shift. If we're not able to give that kind of bit of a leeway, um, The best ideas can't reach fruition, right? So I think that's something that students aren't necessarily aware of, but yet all the chapters in this collection really push towards helping students see that They need to work with others and that the ideas that they learn in one class are accessible in another class, whether it is a philosophy class matched up to a math class or, you know, a history class matched up to an engineering class. There is definitely going to be overlap across those. But I think as faculty, we really need to help students make those connections. And in doing that, we need to push towards the interdisciplinary nature of STEAM and how STEAM affords STEM. Um, Not necessarily, you know, we have to squeeze that A in there because we've left the humanities behind. It's more that the humanities have very, very important social impacts on how STEM is taken up in society overall. And I think when you were talking about earlier about genetics, There's a lot of public distrust of a lot of science, and we see that especially now. And that is only going to be further propagated if we don't train and teach our students how to combat that in the ways that they write, in the ways that they talk, in the ways that they create texts.
0: And I want to draw listeners' attention to the fact, uh, Vivian, just quickly, that a lot of what we're hearing Julia say right now is in her own chapter, uh, building socio-scientific trust is a post-secondary obligation. So um, those ideas are expanded on and given um, their full evidence there. So that's just a side note. Please, Vivian.
1: Oh, I, I was actually just gonna say that that, that Julius chapter really does you know bring that bring that forward, um, uh, and I, I also wanted to to make a plug for um, uh, the chapter by Olivia Burgess and Alina Handorian. Um, This one is called Interdisciplinary Collaboration for a New Humanities and a New Engineer. Um, And this one I think readers will be really interested in because it talks about a team teaching experience. So Olivia is a humanities person um, and Alina is a chemist. And they together co-taught a course um, that was about ethics and values in um, scientific innovation, um, and, and th- the course was for um, undergraduate engineers. So you know that here are two you know uh, professors teaching outside of their fields to students who are also essentially outside of their fields. <laughs> um, and uh, I think they really illustrate um, what you were both talking about, um, which is that uh, th- that faculty need to model this kind of interdisciplinary collaboration um, so that the students can see what it is we're talking about when we say that when we work together, it's better than when we work alone. Um, and so this this chapter really uh, you know, kind of brings out some of the reflections of both of these um, on how they designed a course that really uh, tried to give that message to students. Yeah, and I
0: mean, scientists today and students of science, it, it, it may well be that we're still convincing them that you know things like uh, communication are central to what they do. Not all of them, but enough of them that it can be difficult from a writing center perspective, from an English uh, studies perspective, from a a writing program perspective, to really get in new programs, to really develop them in the way that they need to be developed. But we don't need to convince any scientist or student science, uh, science anymore about the idea of collaboration. I think that message has come through entirely that you know there are no more articles really in most sciences that are written by one person and there are no labs or major funded majorly funded product uh, projects that are um you know a team of one that just doesn't happen anymore and 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 that's why it seems like this should be an easy sell, Vivian, what you're referring to, and, and in amongst many of the sentences that are underlined in that chapter by Olivia Burgess and Alina Handerian, um, one is, and it is this one here, I quote, team teaching is one way to help remove traditional boundaries between disciplines, design a more well-rounded curriculum, and most importantly, engender a pedagogical mindset and in instructors that mirrors what we want to see in the new engineer. That is collaborative flexibility creativity and adaptability end quote um (laughs) yes yes and 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 more yes
2: (laughs) yeah that flexibility though it's it's hard to achieve i think in a lot of post-secondary settings um team teaching while it is a lovely experience um it's sometimes administratively really heard, um, for, for, you know, who's in charge of that scheduling to figure that out. And I think that's like a small kind of administrative type of thing, but it gets in the way of making these types of steps towards progress. Um, how to, and when you were talking about, Multiple authors on a scientific paper. Yes, absolutely. We see that all the time. But yet, those multiple authors often come from the same discipline. So, while there is a level of collaboration and cross pollination, it's Primarily still within the same discipline. Um, We don't necessarily see the same type of, um, we do it in grants, which you mentioned as well. There's definitely more people usually coming together from different disciplines there. But I think even in publication, we're still, academic publication, we're still very discipline specific within a discipline rather than across disciplines. So until we make that shift in terms of faculty expectations, um, it's really hard to expect students to do that.
0: Yeah, uh, um, one of the points that you just brought up there, uh, which is is central to what's going on, and this brings us also over to Vivian's chapter for sure, is the point of administration and trying to find. uh, I think the word that you use, Vivian, in your um, chapter is splitting to to split the um, sort of position of say a. Writing program so that it um, functions administratively, but is also following its core goals in the area of communication and and I do want to very much give you um, the space to be able to talk about um, your experiences there because it's very much what's in your chapter. It's 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 a relation of of actual work done at your university. But I suppose to just send it off. What what I'm thinking is is that for me, indeed, teaching and learning our one process and it just seems <laughs> i don't know how to put this without it probably offending people it seems such a shame that administration would 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 it would get in the way or that faculty expectations be it on the stem side or the a side i don't know yeah uh, i'm sure there's just as much non cross disciplinary thinking on the a side as well but to to not recognize that the Teaching and learning, say, of a tutoring experience at a writing center is, is fruitful for everyone involved.
1: I think teaching and learning do go together. And for me as an administrator, um, administration is what's supposed to make that happen, right? We are, we are supposed to be the ones that uh, make it logistically possible for the best kind of teaching and the best kind of learning to happen and to be matched up. Um, but um, there are all sorts of things that get in the way of that. For instance, Julia was talking about how administratively difficult it is to do team teaching. Often this is because you have to assign, uh, because uh, you you have to assign a certain number of credits to be taught to each instructor every semester, so that they can uh, uh, perform all of the duties that are required by their annual contract, right? So if you um, are uh, Trying a team teaching experiment, um, you know, uh, if that class is worth only three credits, um, what do you do for each instructor? Do you assign one and a half uh, teaching credits for each instructor and carry on? Well, then, you know, that instructor is um, obligated to find another one and a half credits of teaching that they can do elsewhere. So it it, it does become logistically difficult, Um, not impossible, but one. One of the reasons why we felt it important to um, create section three, which was the writing program administration section, um, is to bring readers' attention to these um, big picture questions of how it is that we actually practice, how do we do STEAM in the classroom. And I would say that that that, that starts at at the administrative level right? We have to create the space for, um, these, um, uh, kinds of interdisciplinary teaching projects to become possible. Um, so my, my chapter is, is really about, um, it's kind of a, a profile, um, about our own first year writing program at Lawrence Technological University. And I should say that, um, I have, uh, three co uh, uh, in this chapter with me. And, um, uh, these co-authors are the, um, the lecturer, the full-time lecturer in our program, and two adjunct faculty. Um, so our program is staffed primarily by adjunct faculty who um, are paid per class um and have a one-semester contract. Um, so even there, the labor issues of um, how people are teaching, how people are getting paid, um, you know, the the turnover of that kind of a labor model, all of that goes into the possibilities or the the, the lack of possibilities sometimes behind offering STEAM curriculum. Um, and so really this this chapter kind of talks about how we as a program try to Think about our position. Think about the many different demands that are put onto uh, us as instructors and us as a program um, and how we serve all of our constituents. Um, in a way that that benefits as many people as possible and harms as few people as possible right um, so uh, I'll give you an example um, uh, the um, this the school that we are at is very um, closely tied to industry um, uh, and uh, our industrial um, partners are our future employers of the students that we turn out as graduates. So it's very important for us to um, appreciate, you know, these industry partners. Um, however, industry partners, you know, are, are sometimes looking for, for a very particular set of writing skills, um, usually very sentence level based. Um, and the discipline of rhetoric and composition has sort of moved beyond that kind of grilling and drilling, let's do grammar, let's do mechanics all day long kind of approach. Um, And so, you know, our focus in the discipline has become much more holistic, whereas I think that employers still tend to want, and for for good reason, um, still tend to want communicators that have really polished sentences. So, um, you know, as a writing program administrator, then what do we, what do I do? What do Julia and I do to kind of um, try to satisfy both of those demands, right? Um, and so uh, it, it's hard. Um, you know, you you design curricula that um, you know is uh, uh, that is in line with the best practices of your um, of your discipline. Um, but you also have to understand that the best practices of the discipline don't always match up with the particular position that your university and your program within your university um, finds itself in. And um, so, you know, being a writing program administrator in a STEM-centered school is one of we say here, constant balance, right? So it's the great balancing act <laughs> um, uh, within this world of expectations. Um, you know, that's really what the administrator experiences. Um, and uh, we we wanted to kind of tell that story um, in this last section and of the you book. You
0: tell it very well. It comes across clearly that you're, Writing program is realistic, effective, admirable um, for sure. Um, The 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 depth uh, of of detail that you offer us, we really get a sense of who's there and what they're thinking and how all that collaboration works to produce a a writing program that is, as you say, splitting, meeting in the middle, and making the best of you know staying true to to aims, but also you know realizing that uh, you know an institution is an institution. I think that definitely describes the administration that you were describing at the beginning um, when you started telling us about your chapter, administration that's there to make it possible. I would say, though, that there's very many teachers out there who feel like they're trying to make it possible administratively, which is from the other end. (laughs) And um, this is maybe one of those effects of the fact that administrative... um, arms and branches and, and organizations and hierarchies are on the up in most universities in America and across the world. Um, if, if there are new hirings or new um, operations being put into place, it tends to be at the administrative level. I've, I've, I've spoken with William Cherney here on this program. I've spoken with Jonathan Zimmerman. I've seen it at my own university. Um, I don't know if either of you, of both of you would, would like to also voice something on that on that end.
2: I think the idea of building bridges is really important. And Vivian's chapter talks a lot about that within, you know, the first year writing program and the composition program. But often that idea of building bridges is really on the faculty level. Like we get lip service sometimes, I feel like, from our deans and our administrators that are higher up, but it's often left to faculty to go out and make those connections, which is fine, but, and I'm going to let Vivian weigh in on this, but my experience at my present job and previous um, places of employment is that it is most often people in the humanities, in the arts that are expected to build those bridges with STEM. It's not necessarily the other way around which tells us something right i'll let our listeners decide what that tells us but vivian have your experiences been the same and even daniel have your experiences been the same because what i see is the humanists are expected to go out and build these bridges a lot of times like really insert the a rather than uh everybody coming to the realization that that a in steam is very important
1: yeah, I I I think so. I'm that that has been my experience as well, especially at um, smaller universities like the one that Julia and I uh, are teaching at now. Um, and I have also taught at you know uh, uh, other universities, also small um, uh, and sort of science centered, so STEM centered. Um, Especially at a, a STEM-centered university, I think that the, the humanists, because we 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 already do so many things, right? We we are you know housed in departments um, that at a at you know larger you know state universities would be twelve or fifteen departments, right? But but we're all sort of thrown in together already. Um, uh, I think that that yeah that the onus is usually put on us to uh, to make inroads with the scientists. Um, I think that that um, for humanists um, we can react to that in a couple of different ways. One is to be indignant, which I certainly <laughs> uh, must admit that I have uh, done before, um, and say why is it that we are the ones that have to you know always sort of uh, take the first step? Um, uh, but I think that we can also, um, going back to, uh, Rolf's chapter, um, we can say, well, you know, that is sort of our expertise. Our expertise is to build bridges and to, uh, do interdisciplinary work and to, um, you know, bring disparate things together and analyze how they can, uh, uh create interesting conversations so since it is you know our expertise to do that um you know then let's let's do it and um we we, you know we we only ask for you know uh, funding and you know opportunities um uh to to try these experiments so um so, yeah, I, I think that that um, often these, uh, you know, STEAM projects um, are started by uh, humanists, um, unless administratively, um, which I, I hope there will be more of in the future, um, there are programs that are designed from the ground up to be interdisciplinary, to be STEAM. Um, so I'm hoping that that is the way that we are going, um, but time will tell, I guess. Maybe yeah, just, often- just to add to that...
2: So I'm just going to say there is a lot of this happening in research, right? There's a lot of expectation that research be interdisciplinary, but it hasn't quite filtered down into the classroom yet. So we see this kind of bottom up um, that Vivian's talking about at the faculty level of the need for it. And we see a top down in terms of research, but I don't think academia has quite figured out how to make that happen in the classroom yet. So not just for faculty, but for students more comprehensively.
0: Yeah, it, does, it, it just doesn't fit into any of the rubrics or categories, I think, that a lot of, you know, different uh, departments are, are used to thinking in. And that's, I think, one of the, I mean, I can give also my own experience over here in Germany, uh, based in, in, in Europe, as my listeners will know, and um, Heidelberg University and also KIT which is Karlsruhe Institute of Technology sounds a little bit like MIT. It's probably not also by chance um, one of uh, the larger larger institutes of technology here in um, in Germany. And um, yeah, it is exactly the same that it is the a the humanities that are making the first step and 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 what's shocking sometimes is that you make that first step and you arrive over there and you realize that sort of ad hoc the faculty in biology or somewhere else have already sort of arranged some sort of internal you know quick scientific writing workshop or this is how you do peer review whatever and 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 all that is, you know, good stuff. It's not like I would ever tell, you know, a, a a publishing researcher that they're not allowed to tell, you know, students of science how to do what it is that they do. But wouldn't it be so much more effective if, if you know, the the communication expert sat down with that scientific expert and that knowledge became more explicit and more transparent and was packed packaged in a pedagogically um, sort of manner that would that would work for the students um so that you know when they do go to write their first peer review when they do start penning their first article you know th- these things actually then start working it's not just a matter of uh, you know it knowing the knowledge of it it's also being able to do the practice of it
1: so, at, at, at our university, we have what's called a, um, a Writing Across the Curriculum Program, which is a faculty initiative, um, and Julia and I are, are um, sort of the, the co-leaders of this, of this initiative, um, and we bring together faculty from all across the university, so all of our different colleges, from uh, business and information technology, to design and architecture, to engineering, to, you know, uh, the College of Arts and Sciences. And um and we as faculty get together and we talk about the kind of writing that we are doing in our classes that we are assigning to our students. How do we run peer review? Do we run peer review? Um how do we grade students according to a rubric? Do we use portfolios? Um what kind of writing assignments are students struggling with in, you know, uh calculus versus in um in our, you know, first year composition courses? Um and that has been I think think, a really fruitful discussion for us um, because we have found, uh, just as you found in your experience, Daniel, that everyone across the university is doing some writing in their own way. Um, But how much more uh, efficient, for one thing, um, but also how much more rich um, could These writing experiences be if we had a more centralized understanding of what we were all doing, you know, which doesn't necessarily mean we all have to do the same thing at the same time, but uh, if we were more aware of what our colleagues were doing in terms of their their writing pedagogy. Um, I think it would help everybody to be more effective um, in their own courses. We could better align um, what we do with what with what they do and, and vice versa also. Um, so uh, so yeah, that, I think that has been very fruitful for the faculty that's been running we've been running that for the last couple of years.
2: Yeah, and it's great because you see, like Vivian said, you see the same things happening in different disciplines, but they're talked about in these like slightly different ways, which is great. We can recognize it as faculty when we get together, but that's much harder for the students to recognize. If we were using the same language, the same terminology, the same concepts throughout all their courses in a holistic way, students might, STEM students may see the benefit of those humanities courses much more quickly, right? And it would be reinforced through their coursework. But when it's not reinforced, when faculty aren't using the same language, it seems like they are learning this for the students, that they're learning very different things. Um, and it goes back to this idea of audience, different audiences. They think they're physics professor expect something much different than their writing professor when really the expectations which we've learned in meeting with faculty over these past years is the expectations are actually quite similar but students um, just assign different needs and wants based on faculty discipline rather than on what like writing is overall or what communication is overall and that in itself is kind of you know a little bit terrifying and shocking because it shows us that students are making those connections across. Courses, and that they you know leave say a course I teach or a course Vivian teaches, and don't pick it up again in one of their later courses in their own discipline-specific coursework. When that's really not what we want them to leave our courses with, and we really try and push, you know, this is the ideas of transfer, the ideas of what you learn now is going to be useful to you in your other courses, it's going to be useful to you on the job, it's going to be useful to you as a human being. But unless we can all Get on the same page, I guess, with the way we talk about writing, with the way we talk about communication, students aren't gonna do it on their own. And that's why this idea, I think, of STEAM, this idea of collaboration, this idea of cross-pollination and interdisciplinarity is so very important at all levels of university education.
0: It probably comes back to this first step thing that we were talking about. This is certainly one of the factors I would I would argue, because it, it, it seems to me to be a matter of perceptions and finally recognition, because I mean, for instance, I, I've been saying biology most of the interview. I'll stay with biology. <laughs> when you're in the biology department, you know, the biology is going to come the biology itself is going to come from, you know, the biologists and the person doing the research. The The technical lab equipment stuff is probably going to come from a technician, and students understand that, right? That the hand over there is smooth. They understand, right, okay, here we're going into um, the lab, and here we're going to have a different person perhaps telling us about the workings of this or that piece of equipment. And then when it comes to the statistics, for example, which is, you know, so ever-present in biology, they may also well accept that okay, now we're getting somebody else's input here. And this is a a valid and valuable bit of information that we need to be able to do our biology. What's lacking is that exact same perception, I would say, for communication. You know, the day that the, the, the embedded editor, I, that's <laughs> it's one of my terms, I've, u- I've used it a few times here on the, on the show, so listeners may recognize it. I just mean by that, you know, somebody over from the humanities who happens to have gotten in close to that biology department, their sets of research, who understands their communicative needs, who has worked with their genres and text types and so on, that person, yeah, she comes in. And her day in there or her time in there is just as appreciated and understood and accepted by the students as all the others.
1: Yeah, I think that with more team teaching experiences, perhaps that shift will start to occur. Um, uh, you know, we we want our students to be as excited about the things that they learn in our classes or the things that we teach them in other spaces besides our classes, um, as they are with learning their own um, uh, their own discipline and things that you know their own professors within their majors tell them. Um, And at times it is frustrating, um, but I think with with, uh, increased team teaching experiences, um, with increased um, uh, sort of uh, uh, explanation of skills transfer from communication courses to other courses um, around the university, um, I, I think that that perception will start to occur. I think that shift will start happening.
2: Yeah. And I agree with that. But one of the things that I think administration needs to do is realize that team teaching, the benefits of it, like we've talked about the benefits of it. So I'm not gonna get into that. But often, when we're talking about assigning a team talk course, uh, upper level administration sees that as if it was Vivian and I teaching, for instance, or you and I, Daniel, Daniel teaches half the course, 50% of that course load, and I would teach the other 50%. When in fact, to create a comprehensive and persuasive course, we we're both teaching that 100%. It's not that I come in halfway through and you leave, it's that we're doing it together. And that creates, you know, labor issues, that creates contract issues, because, um the university isn't necessarily prepared to pay that extra amount of money to get that experience for students. And that is unfortunately, you know, the kind of sad place that we're in now that there's all these potential opportunities for us to take up. But if upper upper level administration doesn't get on board and doesn't see the usefulness of those and, you know, make these allowances and open up these opportunities, we can't get there on our own. It doesn't matter how much we push from the bottom up; um, we're we're not the ones that are ultimately in charge of these types of opportunities.
0: Yeah, and that's and that, and that's really the sad reality. Despite the fact of the return on many of the things that um, you know a a student of the sciences will gain from uh, exposure to uh, you know humanist learning, the A and Steam. Um, just writing skills, <laughs> to put it right, uh, plain and, and bluntly. But what you say there, Julie, about, you know, upper level administration, or even faculty, one of the things that you'll hear in response is, look, you know, these biologists, I mean, if somebody's a biologist, and they're listening, I, this is really just an example, <laughs> they could stand for anyone. <laughs> these, bi- th- these These biologists, they have so much to learn. They've got to go through all of the lab equipment. They've got to be ready for X, Y, and Z. They've got to, you know, uh, swat up on their statistics. Um, they don't have the time. And when the researcher, him or herself, is actually, you know, postdoc stage or early career and already has a position, he or she is 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 researching, publishing, researching, publishing, and teaching in between. And so one of the complaints you hear is, you know, where are we going to squeeze this in? Because there's... A, There's other things going on, perhaps more important things from their view.
2: Yeah, no, I understand that. And that's something that Vivian and I are very aware of. We hear that all the time. But what is a better learning experience for students? I know research is, you know, primarily faculty's top priority But we need to pay attention to the pedagogy because what we're doing is creating students that are leaving with the same skills that maybe some of these very kind of, um, what's my word, staying in their lane type of disciplines are doing, right? Teaching the same things that they've always been taught, expecting the same things they've always expected. And that doesn't create a holistic student. That is not, you know, creating somebody that can go out and fix problems working with other people. What it's doing is just, you know recreating what we've been doing in the past. And I think one of the things that are all the contributors in this collection really point to is that that's not necessarily working. It's not working for students. It's not working for students as professionals. And it's definitely not impacting um, society as positively as we could. So Just because something we've been doing it for a long time doesn't mean we shouldn't take a step back and reflect upon it and see, okay, what are the changes we need to make? And one of those changes might be, you know, potential restructuring of post-secondary education, um, getting forcing students in a way, inviting them, but also forcing them to in faculty to see the benefits of working together at multiple levels, be it academic, be it professional, be it social, but there are definite benefits there. Um, It's a richer experience when you see through somebody else's eyes. And so yeah, research seems to be the trump, but maybe we need to rethink that a little bit if we want the student experience to be not only better for the students, but better for society overall.
1: Yeah, I I would also add that um, in addition to researchers themselves saying, you know, we don't have time to really think about our pedagogy because we are caught in this cycle of researching and publishing and researching and publishing, um, the corollary to that in, in the teaching world is our students who are majoring in the sciences don't have time to take more Uh, composition or um, communication courses because their flowcharts are already so full of content-based classes, right? and, and I think, um, you know, for, for, for me, somebody who works in the first year composition world and is a, a program administrator of first year composition, um, I kind of take that as, um, a challenge to use the first year composition space as a place to do steam work, as a place to talk about research, um, in a more interdisciplinary way or talk about analysis in an interdisciplinary way talk about skills transfer um because first year composition is a flexible space it's a space um that uh you know where where um uh many, many different um, explorations can occur. It's pre-disciplinary, it's transdisciplinary, disciplinary um, it's interdisciplinary. So um, that first-year comp space which at uh, our university we have one semester, but at many universities um, in the United States, uh, it's a two semester sequence. Um, that's a good amount of time to, um, you know, have students for who are early on in their college careers, um, And and it's it's time where we can spend with them, um, and we can start instilling some of these principles um, and some of these values of interdisciplinary collaboration um, uh, in in, during a time when when we so to speak have them uh, held captive. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's
0: definitely. Yeah, go on, Julia, please.
1: I was just going to
2: say, um, just to kind of add to what Vivian's saying, it's also a jam packed space. Like we do so much work in these courses. And to often when you hear people from a STEM discipline saying, oh, I can't fit anything else in, I can't fit anything else in either in my humanities courses. I am maxed out with what I get students to do. But I think as a responsible faculty member, as a responsible teacher, you kind of have to take a step back and go, okay, what can we tweak? What can we shift a little bit? What can we think about differently to give students that richer experience? Because just because I teach a humanities course doesn't mean I have all this empty room. It doesn't mean I have three or four weeks where, oh, we're just going to you know, reflect on things, even though that metacognitive act is really important. I think in the STEM disciplines, there needs to be more moments of reflection that are required and that are even taught to students to see the importance of it. Because to say there's not enough room, I think is an easy way out. You can always make room. We know this in our professional lives. We know this in our personal lives, but making that room is messy. It's hard, and it takes time And people aren't always ready to do that, especially when you're trying something new. Um, And that's, I think, where this collection is so important because it shows the different steps that people have already taken. And in a way, um, it means that if you see something in this collection that you want to try on, you're not starting from scratch. You're almost taking it up and thinking about it in new ways. So that's, I think, one value of all the different contributors that have come together here.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's definitely great stuff. I mean, what, what comes out from the volume is this idea that, you know, STEAM is a broadening for the people over in STEM, now, just as the word gets a little bit longer, they get a little bit more, you know? And it being able to be fit in there somehow, I mean, Vivian's uh, pragmatic approach of, well, when we have them, let's use that time, is uh, uh, commendable. <laughs> I mean, that's exactly what we need to be thinking in that, in that respect. Um, and hopefully, you know, that time will, will, will pay off for them in such a way that maybe it will come back to faculty and they'll want to open up a bit more space because this issue of time, is, is quite significant. It, it's, it's a mindset because there is no need to uh, you know, deny the fact that there is a, you know, a fundamental difference between the A and the STEM. You know, the, the mindsets, the approaches, the work that's done, I mean, that comes, that comes out in the book. What I also liked in the book, and I forget now exactly in which chapters, but it was at multiple points, is that the, the, the work needs to be done also in the opposite direction, that there needs to be more, let's say, STEM for the A, There needs to be a movement in both directions and not just the expectation that we people in the humanities, you know, carry on just as we've carried on. Right. Um, That, you know, this is is collaborative in every sense of the word, which is why I also wonder if 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 STEM is not perhaps also a steam, excuse me, if STEM is not also perhaps possibly a narrowing, couldn't it be a sharpening? Because when you get into – if you take a writing in the disciplines program, if you get this embedded editor idea that I was talking about before where the the team teaching is done with somebody who's been assigned more or less inside of a a, a department from the humanities – it becomes obvious, I think, to the students there, to the faculty there, that this isn't only just about being able to communicate to non-scientists. This is also increasing your ability to communicate to your fellow scientists, your ability to even represent to yourself exactly what it is that you mean.
1: So the the, the, the two chapters that, that I can think of that kind of address the the first part of your comment, Daniel, um with, uh, you know, almost stemming or scientificizing the the A. Um, one is John Misak's chapter on um, AR and VR. So uh, this is chapter eight, Familiar Technologies uh, and Learning Principles to Attract and Retain STEM Student Interest in First-Year Writing. Um, so John talks about how he uses augmented reality and virtual reality um, in his uh, writing and literature uh, courses um, so that his students he teaches also at a um, uh, at a STEM centered university. Um, his students um, are not put off immediately by the fact that they you know find themselves in a humanities course, and um, you know because they have already you know. Uh, d- bought into the narrative that they want to be engineers and that they're better at science and math anyway, they can sort of blow off you know, uh, his classes um, so that they don't you know, kind of get into that groove. Um, he incorporates these technologies that are used in um, classes in, in the STEM fields um because these technologies he writes are familiar to the students um and so uh, when they see these you know familiar materials show up in their humanities courses they are less likely to be resistant to the curriculum and more likely to engage um, so that's you know one uh one chapter um that that I was thinking of another is um uh chapter 5 uh the one on inquiry based learning by Erica Duran and Lauren McCuccie Springer um, they talk about how writing about stem uh, subjects uh, with their non-traditional uh, students um, actually helps these students to um, uh, to 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 think of themselves as STEM practitioners, right? So these are are students who maybe are coming back to university after many years away, or um, perhaps they are um, non-traditional in in the sense that they uh, come from disadvantaged backgrounds, um, which is non-traditional for STEM. STEM tends to be, um, you know, a, uh, a, a place um, that that sort of attracts um, students for more advantaged backgrounds because the science and mathematics placement needs to be there. Um, but uh, for for many of these students, she says, um, you know, simply writing about STEM uh, subjects and thinking about STEM subjects in humanistic ways helps them to actually identify with uh, you know STEM practitioners and see themselves as as people who could go into the STEM professions um, and uh, th- who could succeed in those professions, even though the larger culture may be telling them that um, they won't, or it's very hard for them to do so.
2: Mm-hmm. And I think Courtney Watson's chapter, All Aboard Gaining STEAM in Health Sciences Education, that shows a really interesting way that her institution has approached that. So She looks at how they've totally reinvented in a way uh, their health sciences program to integrate arts and humanities perspectives throughout and the benefits of that, both for faculty and students. So I won't talk about that chapter too much, but it shows how if there are partnerships and stakeholders on each side, um, the way that STEAM can gain ground. Um, To go back to your point about is STEAM too narrow Um, I might say yes, because what happens is we just see the A, right? And then we see the S-T-E-M. So it's a, what is it? A one to four ratio. And just when you think about the letters and the acronyms like that, it makes it seem like the earth is this small part when really it's not, it's this overarching part and putting anything into an acronym is problematic, but it's something we do because it's easier. But that itself, I think, makes some disciplines stand out as more important and some as less just simply the naming practices that we use to discuss these types of initiatives or moves.
0: To, to round off our interview um, and to close out, I, I'd be really interested, since both of you are um, here representative as the editors of this important volume are both also practicing in this area administratively and educatively, um, if if this if this moment here in the podcast could could be a brief platform for yourself, uh, what would be a, a message that you would send out to any of the stakeholders, be it in administration or research or, or learning? And, and and what would you say to them, um, particularly in this view of look, we've got this thing STEM, and we want to enhance it, augment it. Um, this is what we this is what we expect to be able to get from that.
1: Sure. Yeah. So um, I would say um, to go back to the title of the book, that writing is really, really central to the project of STEM. through acts of writing, and, and I'm talking about writing very capaciously. So composing in um, multiple modes, multiple media, um, uh, learning um, how to communicate uh, in to, to many different audiences and how to um, write in many different genres. Um, writing is a way of thinking and a way of understanding your place in the world. So um, I would say that, uh, you know, we need, uh, we need funding, we need um, new exploratory um, uh, curriculum design, um, and we need writing to be a very fundamental part of um, a STEAM curriculum. Um, if we want to produce students who will be not only great workers uh, in the 21st century, but good people. And, um, you know, uh, responsible thinkers and people who wish to serve their communities, um, that STEAM is important and writing is central to STEAM.
2: Well done, Vivian. I don't need to add anything that to that, but I will. Um, I think that <laughs> what we need to really get our upper level administration to realize is that... Um, In being in a, like, writing is innovative. I think we tend, it's creative, which we talked about much earlier. We don't necessarily see that perspective happening um, outside maybe our department or our disciplines. And we need that. Like, we need a focus on the creativity and the innovation that writing and communication brings with it. And how that is, you know a socially relevant act. Um, and that science, technology, engineering, math, those all need to be seen as socially relevant disciplines. And right now they're not always. I'm sure there's some schools that are doing excellent jobs at looking at the socio-science aspect of all these kind of STEM type courses. But if we can't make these courses socially relevant and culturally relevant, and you know, even down to the community level for our students, they're not going to come upon this themselves. They're going to keep thinking the way that they're thinking. And and that's not how we're going to make changes in the world. Um, if we want to, you know, create change, if we want to, Improve social conditions in our own communities, but also in larger communities. We need to show the importance of writing and communication, and that it is not just something you get in one or two classes. It's just something that you need to practice to be good at it. It's something that you need to talk about to, with others to learn from them, and it's something that needs to be valued and not something valued just for grammatical um, issues, right? It just it needs to be innovative in itself we need to uh, cultivate foster and protect like thoughtful writing and thoughtful um, engagement with communication at all levels of education k to 12 higher education but not just at all levels but in every single course and we need students to be able to both realize that and practice that for, uh, it's gonna sound cheesy, but for a better tomorrow for everybody. Because by segregating things out, what happens is you put on blinders and you see things very narrowly. And we don't want our students to see things narrowly. We don't want our neighbors to see things narrowly. We want, you know, to see how everything's interconnected. And writing and communicating really helps us explain that to those around us.
0: Well, thank you very much. Um, You've both... Just outdone each other <laughs> uh, with with inspiration and also and also with with um, just hitting the nail on the head with giving us a th- a few a set of things that we can hold in one hand and understand that th- that's what it comes down to. Um, thank thank you bo- both of you, Julia and Vivian, for that. Uh, the you've rounded off the interview wonderfully. That is uh, Vivian and Cow uh, and Julia Kiernan. Their edited collection, Writing Steam: Composition, Stem, and a New Humanities, is out with. Froutledge. I'm Daniel Shea and this is goodbye from me to Vivian and Julia. Goodbye.
1: Bye. Thank you. Goodbye, Daniel. Thank you.
0: And this is goodbye to all of you. Bye-bye. And until next time here on Scholarly Communication.